Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, Brad Gray, of course, and this is episode number eight. Today, I have a special guest on the show. It's Colin Coates. Colin is the founder of The Craft, a site that analyzes sermons to help preachers become more effective in sharing and expounding the truth of the gospel. And in this conversation, Colin and I, we sit down and go in depth on the topic of preaching and what makes for a compelling and Christ-centered sermon. We also talk about the doctrine of distinguishing long gospel and that message's significance for student ministry specifically. And if you're serious about preaching and about the craft of delivering sermons, I think you'll find this show really, really beneficial. As you may know, today's show is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Offering an optimal blend of accuracy and readability, the CSB helps readers to make a deeper connection with God's Word and inspires a lifelong discipleship. The CSB is equally suited for serious study or for sharing the Word of God with your neighbor for the very first time. Learn more by going to csbible.com. Now for Colin Coates. I'm from Dallas, um, moved down to Waco uh, uh, after high school. So Waco is about 90 miles um, south of Dallas. Moved down to Waco after high school and actually did um, this discipleship training school, something I may talk about in a little bit, but did that for about a year, training school at, at a church here in town, and and then went to Baylor University, which... Uh, maybe the whole world knows about right now, unfortunately, because what's in the news? If you don't know, don't Google it. Um, no, I, I'm just kidding. Uh, you can Google it. But uh, yeah, so I went to Baylor and had an awesome time there. Um, so graduated there with a philosophy degree. But the reason I stayed in Waco, which is somewhat peculiar, most most people that go to Baylor don't stay in Waco. Um, but uh, I had a, I was working at a church. And um, and stayed working at that church as a, as a pastor. So I've been in, really involved in ministry since high school and uh, pastoral ministry the past past few years. And uh, I'm currently working on the craft, which I'm sure we might talk about um, here in a little bit. But, but yeah, that, that's me. So just uh, um, came to faith in, in high school and um, yeah, here in Waco, living large. <laughs> and how long have you been married? 
been married now for over two years um, and uh, actually have twins on the way. Uh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah, man, thanks. So <laughs> twins on the way this coming uh, October. Those, those are our, our first kids. So mm -hmm. uh, we'll never just have one kid. Uh, <laughs> so excited about that. But yeah, I'm married for a little over two years. That's awesome. Congratulations on that. Um, Thank you. Now, uh, you said your degree was in philosophy from Baylor? Yes. What was that like getting that degree from a state university? Oh my gosh, man. I hated it. Um, <laughs> I, I know that that's maybe a weird answer, but uh, I just, you, you know, Brad, I, in high school, didn't love school. Um, I, I just, I didn't love school and going to Baylor. I, I got into philosophy, honestly, because I started thinking about seminary. Um, so like I said, I felt called to ministry uh, since since high school. So involved in ministry. And when I was at Baylor doing uh, a bunch of ministry at, at my church, particularly youth ministry, started thinking a lot about seminary. And um, I think at the time I was like a communications major or something, but I wanted to learn Greek. So I wanted to get into the biblical languages which would not have counted for my degree at the time. And so started talking to advisors. They pointed me towards philosophy because they said Greek will apply. And that's a great degree for seminary. And it probably is. I just hated it. Um, but I, I got to learn Greek and, uh, and philosophy for me was, it was just, um, you know, I, I, I like to read. It was a ton of reading, a ton of writing, which I love to read generally, and, and I love to write generally, but um, I just didn't have the mindset for it yet to, to realize that um, I was getting a peek into a lot of what has influenced culture, mm -hmm. so a lot of things Kant said a long time ago. When I'm reading it, I'm like, man, I'm just reading guys who are trying to think up truth themselves, and I'm, I come from, I start with the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I slowly learned, man, things that Kant said or Nietzsche or whoever have actually influenced culture. I mean, Americans today mm -hmm. think in certain ways because of what they said. And so I didn't fully take advantage of that. That's what I could have taken advantage of. But anyway, man, I was just not a very good student. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and really seminary, seminary has been the first schooling that is like, finally, I'm, I'm learning what I feel like I, yeah. I want to yeah. learn and, and love to learn and, um, anyway, that's terrible advice. I'm a terrible student until pretty much I hit seminary. So I started at Knox Seminary, uh, distance out of Fort Lauderdale, um, maybe a couple of years ago. Uh, I actually did, I mean, I've got a, I've got an interesting story that, that is, that goes well beyond the bounds of the time limits of this podcast, but <laughs> I did a, a program called retrain, um, uh, out of Mars Hill, which don't, fire any bullets yet but I did that and got some seminary credit it was a great program um great teaching great classes for about a year and Knox reached out to the students and said hey you can get a big discount at Knox if you're if you're a retrain student and so I took a break for about a year because I had been in school at that point I did that discipleship school I did Baylor I did retrain so that's about six years of school I took a break um, and then I started up Knox a couple of years ago and I loved it. Knox is an incredible, incredible school. Uh, I've just, I mean, I, I, Knox is an awesome school. 
Mm-hmm. That's so awesome. that's what that's what I'm doing now. Um, just working on my MDiv. I, I like to say I'm wrapping it up. I'm you know <laughs> doing. I've got some other things that are they're taking a lot of my time. But uh, you know, if I could go back as a as a young guy. Um, and this was part of my church background years ago. They didn't really encourage seminary. Mm. Um, and so that's why I didn't immediately go into, you know, on-campus seminary setting after college. Yeah. But um, if I could go back, that's the way I would do it. But, really? um, you know, I'm, I'm married. I got twins on the way, man. So uh, I got to make some money and uh, uh, pay for <laughs> school and yeah, exactly. fit it in. Yeah, exactly. you know, so. Uh, shifting gears here, I've, I, as I was mentioning beforehand, I first met you at the uh, 2015 Liberate Conference, and what sort of have been the residual effects of that for you? I know there's been a lot for me, but what sort of have you taken away from that whole event and experience? Yeah, I mean, I loved Liberate. I was there with my wife, um, and uh, yeah, and, and I loved it. Um, Liberate for me. Um, and particularly uh, Tolly and Trevigian's preaching and teaching and writing, and, and many of the people that influenced him. Uh, that was probably, I don't know if it was the first, um, but it was probably the loudest uh, and most overwhelming voice of distinguishing the law and the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm a big, uh, I love um, what Michael Horton uh, is doing at the White Horse Inn. Um, if you're familiar, um, and, and a lot of those reformed guys who are who are uh, preaching law and gospel and distinguishing law and gospel, um, and I think Liberate was, you know, for whatever reason, um, became a very kind of mainstream, popular voice um, for that. And so, uh, for me, Liberate was was probably the first conference. I'm trying to think that I've been to that that truly. Um, wanted to preach the message of kind of the buck stops with the gospel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember, uh, I remember Steve Brown, I think he preached the last message. Is that right? Yeah, he did. Yeah. So he preached the last sermon. And I remember he said something like, you know, okay, you've been to this conference and you're going home. And, you know, a lot of times there's like a hoorah uh, after a conference of go do this. And he said, you know, what do you do? after a conference like this. And, and I think he said in kind of Steve Brown fashion, don't do anything. (laughs) And, uh, uh, you know, of course he's not saying, you know, uh, you know, throw away God's law or anything like that. But uh, I got his point and his point was we were here to celebrate that everything is finished, that everything has been accomplished. So what's there left to do? Absolutely nothing. And um, so there were a lot of, uh, other great, I mean, uh, Ray Cortez preached that Ray Cortez's sermon that's probably online somewhere um, yeah. was one of the best sermons I've heard uh, in terms of the gospel and modern day Christianity and modern day church. Um, but, but yeah, Steve Brown, I'll probably never forget that. Just him saying, what do you do? You do nothing. And I thought that is so biblical and it's mm-hmm. so true that uh, life moves on in ordinary ways, and at the end of the day, the conference is over. We go home, and it's still finished. Salvation is still accomplished. Yep. Uh, grace is still true. There's nothing left to do. Um, uh, you know, so so rest and not enjoy it. And Amen. Um, you know, so yeah, so that that was probably one of the the biggest um, impacting things from that. That's awesome. I, I want to get back to that, but I want to ask you this too: is 
is you've mentioned sort of these ministry roles that you have. What sort of roles in the ministry specifically have you had in the past? And like, what are you doing currently uh, right now? So uh, in the past, so I, I said this earlier, I felt called the ministry in high school. And uh, that kind of led me to immediately start, you know, Bible studies in high school, small group kind of stuff, um, reading through books with guys. Um, so obviously I was technically at that time kind of the, the classification of the youth. Um, mm -hmm. Going into college, uh, I did youth ministry for years. Um, the capacity I was in was basically a youth leader leading a small group. Um, leading other youth leaders. Um, uh, that's where in high school and, and leading into college, started preaching and teaching, um, getting experience in that. Um, and that's really where I began to, to fall in love with preaching, uh, to become a student of preaching. Um, that's really my, you know, if, if you were to kind of get specific when it comes to ministry, what I love is, is preaching and teaching. Um, but, but yes, yeah, so, so doing youth for years and then really, um, about my junior senior of college, I, I was looking for a, a new church for, for many reasons and planted down at a, at a church here in, in Waco. It was a small kind of family church, not many college students. And, and Waco is a college town. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of churches with, with big college ministries, but um, and that's where college students tend to go. So I was a college student, planted out in a church with no college ministry, and quickly started leading the the few college students that were there, just in a small group. Um, long story short, what happened was that college ministry just started basically growing numerically. Uh, more people started coming. The lead pastor of the church started inviting me into a lot of church-wide conversations. So. Uh, I was a, a young, I mean, I'm a young guy now, but I was younger and, uh, and I was involved in basically uh, just these churchwide kind of replanting conversations. And over a year or two, the church was essentially repurposed and replanted. And um, uh, like I said, the college ministry grew. So I, I actually grew into a role of full-time college pastor, um, uh, but also kind of associate pastor as well, though um, that's not, wasn't my title. Um, but that's what I was doing basically from 2012 until just here recently, about a year ago. Um, and, and about a year ago, uh, kind of because I did life a little bit backwards, I wanted to take a step back from full-time ministry, um, finish my degree, um, and then, you know, recently uh, started up the craft. So rather than being full-time ministry, I'm, I'm kind of spending a lot of my time thinking about and, and helping other preachers with preaching specifically. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I'm kind of in this weird, um, it's not limbo, that's not the right word, but this weird kind of middle ground of uh, I'm confident I'm called to ministry. I can't get away from the aspiration to pastoral mm -hmm. ministry, but um, uh, you know, and I've been in the thick of it, replanting a church, um, but wanting to have a little bit longer on-ramp right now, um, mm -hmm. to hone in on something that I love, which is preaching and kind of, you know, see what, see what God does in the coming years. Yeah, that's awesome. I like hearing that. And one thing I like asking guys, especially young guys like yourself, is what sort of, or how have you really seen, 
like your ministry and your perspectives and views on ministry develop and change over the years? And I guess specifically as it ties into sort of this revitalization of long gospel thought and theology, just because I know for me, it's really been a resurgence for me, you know, just like yourself saying that that was the loudest voice of liberate was the loudest voice for this sort of distinction. And for me, it was as well. And it was really an eye opening experience. And so I can really look back on that and be like, that's where I can see a lot of things go back to. So how do you, how do you see your, yourself have having developed and, and changed, not just since then, but just over the past uh, couple of years? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the past couple of years, you know, it kind of ties into really probably the past decade of my life. The, the past mm-hmm. few years, um, have I, I feel I've been given a lot of uh, language um, to, to communicate and understand a lot of the things that, that I think God's been teaching me the past decade. So, um, you know, and, and just long story short, I was, I was involved in high school and into uh, the years after high school, I was involved in really the charismatic movement. Um, and I was in charismatic churches. And, and like I said, I did a, a, basically a church year long discipleship school at a, a big charismatic church here in, here in Waco. And um, to, to not bore you with the details or your listeners, but uh, during that year, we had to read through the Bible. And I did not realize at the time, but that was um, what God would use to slowly uh, turn my world upside down. Because as I read through the Bible, um, I started to see, man, that, that the Bible and Paul and the authors of the Bible kept coming back to Jesus over and over and over again. So, you know, Paul would talk about marriage in Ephesians and somehow, you know, he would uh, end up talking about Christ and the church and he would talk about husbands and he would talk about, you know, Christ dying for his bride. And so I started to see that all over the place, man. And, uh, and, and it was, it was really, uh, taking over, um, my, my world, my Christianity, my faith, my walk with God. I mean, I would, I would sometimes wake up in the morning and put on the passion of the Christ soundtrack and read the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, because it was like, this is what, this is what I see the Bible that revolving around. Mm-hmm. And um, now that was an amazing thing happening in my life. But I, I was also seeing that my church, um, while they talked about Jesus all the time, while they talked about sharing the gospel with unbelievers all the time, uh, I found that the sermons that were being preached to me on Sunday and the small groups and uh, what little Bible study we did was always in the context of me and what I'm doing in my life and moving forward and growing and, um, and rarely just giving me the goods of the gospel. So this was, you know, maybe seven or eight years ago that I started to see, I think, I think this whole Bible thing is about Jesus. And, (laughs) um, and so I went through a very difficult season of, of meeting with the pastors of my church and, uh, talking a lot about the Bible and, uh, you know, um, 
leading a church in a ministry of ministry minded a podcast that seeks to marvel at the mercy of god that meets us in our messy ministries i'm your host brad gray of course and this is episode number seven on today's show i'm really thrilled to be joined by bill brimer bill is the music pastor at soul thirst church in the colony texas and throughout this discussion we talk about many different things including lutheranism the beauty of liturgy and the spiritual experience of really leading music. We also share our common distaste for the title of worship leader. Bill also shares the story behind his newest album with the artist. So anyway, to fast forward to answer your question of the past few years, also shares, Bill also shares the story behind his latest album, which you can find on his website. I love this conversation, and I love talking to Bill about grace and theology and music, and I think you will too. Today's show, as you know, is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Offering an optimal blend of accuracy and readability, the CSB helps readers to make a deeper connection with God's Word and inspires a lifelong discipleship. The CSB is equally suited for serious study or sharing with your neighbor hearing God's word for the very first time. Learn more at csbible.com. Now for Bill Brimer. And now a quick break for a word from my partners in ministry, Dead Men. Now back to Bill. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I see that. And, now and thanks I've again to Bill for taking the time to come on the show today. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and stay up to date with his music that, okay, at billbrimer.com. You can find all those links in the show notes. And that's it for today's episode of Ministry Minded. Thanks so much for staying with me and for listening. If you like what you just heard and would like to hear more episodes like this, be sure and follow the show on Twitter. You can also subscribe in iTunes, and you can also follow along on SoundCloud. If you really like what you just heard, you can do me a really good favor and leave me a short review or a comment. That'll go a long way for me to continue making shows like this happen. Thanks again to CSB for sponsoring the show, and thank you, as always, for listening and commenting and subscribing. I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings. So, yeah, so that's, that's been big for me the past few years. That's awesome. And I'm going to make a mental note because I just had a question, but let me speak to that. How does... You know, how does this sort of law gospel idea and these sort of this sort of new language, how do you think that has helped you, especially in college and youth ministry? Because from my sort of understandings, a lot of the times this sort of message is shied away from a lot of times, especially in like youth and high school ministries. It's not necessarily preached that there's this sort of, uh, you know, maybe unspoken uh, idea that is dangerous. It's too dangerous to preach too much gospel to high schoolers because they'll just focus on the freedom and not their responsibility necessarily. So how has this sort of impacted you and why do you think it's so important that we preach this message to college and youth in, in, in youths in high school? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, that, that, that's a great question. And you know, the, the, the first thing that came to my mind is you're asking is, uh, in a sense, I'm no different than any youth or college student. So if, if this is what the Bible's about for me, you know, uh, who am I to say that, you know, uh, I need to give something different to exactly. a college student as if, you know, I mean, if, if they're going to be prone to abusing the gospel, so am I, but, um, but that doesn't change the fact that that's, that that's exactly what they need. I, um, 
I was actually just this past weekend or two weekends ago at a youth uh, retreat conference and, and preached two different sermons and preached the gospel, preached the law, preached the gospel from John 14. And, um, and later I found out that some of the youth got caught, I think, stealing a bag of chips or doing something that they'll probably regret uh, later. But, um, you know, does that change the fact that they need the gospel? No, it actually, it actually only reveals how much they need the good news because they're out stealing bags of chips. And, um, and God said in his law, thou shalt not steal and uh, thieves are condemned. And so, you know, they need to hear that. They need to know that, that before God, even if their whole life was perfect, you know, mm-hmm. the second they had that um, theft in their heart and they acted on it, man, they're, they're condemned forever. And yep. they need to know that and be convicted by that. And, and they need to be given good news that God loves thieves and mm-hmm. God rescues and saves thieves. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, that whole, the whole thing of, you know, when I look at youth and college ministry, um, I think that most of the time, uh, youth is kind of, we treat youth ministry as corralling them, <laughs> making sure that they don't steal bags of chips and, um, you know, uh, trying to impart what little biblical truth we can. Yep. And, and I wonder if we shouldn't treat them like adults and treat them like the 16, 17, 18 year olds that they are. And I mean, they're in class learning calculus. They can learn the distinction between the law and the gospel. They can, um, you know, they can learn those things. They can begin teaching them and uh, sharing the gospel with their friends. Um, You know, but, but more importantly, they can just like me um, know God's law, be crushed by it, be convicted by it and look to Jesus as their only hope in life and death. And, you know, particularly with college too, to say something about that, because I spent so many years in college ministry. One thing I see in college ministry is the, the real focus in a lot of evangelical college ministry is changing the world. <clears throat> Excuse me. So <clears throat> the big idea is uh, how can we make you not just a Christian, you know, I'll, I'll kind of make a caricature. How do we, how do we help you not be kind of the boring Christian like <laughs> your parents or grandparents church that you grew up in. And uh, I, I hate that, but that's the caricature that you see. How do we turn you into a Christian that changes the world? And so, um, so that's oftentimes the whole focus is getting you to do something incredible. And mm-hmm. what happens is, is that's all the law. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that that's a bad thing to say, Hey, you know, maybe you'll do something that'll change the world. Most of us won't. Um, most of us are going to just die and be forgotten. Uh, that's just the, the reality and that's okay. Yeah. But, um, but call, so college students are just pounded with the law. It's not always the 10 commandments. It's the law of change the world. It's the law of have a great devotional life. It's the law of, you know, uh, be a counselor at camp all summer, whatever. I mean, you know, um, and, and some of those things are great and fine, but they need to be, in the context of impounded with the good news of Jesus, that it is finished, that God loves you, whether you change the world or not. Um, and, uh, and that is the good news that you should rest in. And that's the good news that, you know, you, 
take to the camp uh, over over your summer break, take on the mission trip, you know, um, uh, live in it, rest in it. So um, I, I'm not sure even what your question was at first, but uh, that's that's what I see for college ministry and youth ministry is, is let's, let's just treat them like we treat ourselves, which is <laughs> I need the law and I need the gospel over and over and over again. And so do they. And, um, and let's not belittle them and treat them like, I don't know, like they're, their kids or, or something like that. They're adults just like us and, yep. um, and they yep. want to be treated that way. So yep. I think yep. a lot more youth ministers should treat it as like, I'm leading you as I'm coming alongside you. Not, I'm not leading you in front of you. And I think that's kind of where this distinction happens where I need to discipline you and disciple you into becoming better people because I've yep. figured it out. But just like you said, we have the same exact sort of struggles and issues and, and yeah. I'm still learning this up and making it up as I go. So that's kind of how I'm leading people. <laughs> I think that's sort of the mindset that I try to have whenever I step into some sort of youth ministry setting. It just is, I'm exactly where you guys are. So don't look at me for any sort of supernatural wisdom. <laughs> um, yeah. But there's something you touched on earlier that I just wanted to ask just because I think it would be good is that, you know, I went through not the same exact thing, but through similar you know, uh, struggles with leaving a church and stuff like that. So what sort of, you know, what sort of, you know, maybe grace or wisdom could you give someone who is struggling with that sort of phase or season in their life where they have come to this conclusion that where they are is not, you know, maybe biblically sound and they need to sort of depart because I think that that can be a hard thing. And uh, I know it was for me when, me and my wife went through that same sort of season. So what sort of, you know, you know, quote unquote wisdom would you, would you give to someone who's in that same situation? It's a great question. And, you know, I've heard people talk about this a lot and, um, you know, I'll, I'll say, I'll say two things. One is, is first um, be cautious. And I'm going to say something in a second that might sound like I'm contradicting myself, but first be cautious. Know, know exactly the reasons you think that you maybe need to find a new church um, and, and evaluate those reasons because there's a lot of silly reasons to leave a church. I mean, at the end of the day, um, uh, every local church is messy and sinful, right? I mean, if, if we're law gospel people, then that's, that's what we confess is that the, the, the law is constantly revealing how weird and sinful and broken we all are. Mm -hmm. And so we just have to, we have to understand that reality that um, uh, if our, if our complaints or problems with our church are just rooted in this person's annoying or something like that, um, it's probably not going to be the best reason to find a new church because you're just going to find super annoying people down the road. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and you might be the most annoying one, right? Like I might be the most annoying. I'm the problem with my church, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but, uh, so, so first I'd say be cautious. And that's what I hear a lot of people say, um, in this conversation is be real cautious. And I, and I agree at the same time, um, there are a lot of churches that I'll say this, there are a lot of people at churches that have really great reasons to leave. So for me, like I said, my, I had four things that I came to discover and, and that I, that I, that I left my church over it. And you have to understand, I loved, when I was at my church seven or so years ago, I absolutely adored 
everyone there. I loved it. I, I could not imagine the day that I would leave that church. So as I began to read the Bible, it began to slowly kind of chip away at me where I started to realize, okay, as I, as I read the Bible, but then I hear sermons, there's these significant discrepancies. As I read the Bible and, and just see the things we teach and the things we practice, there's major discrepancy. And, and, and one thing was just the Bible was hardly being preached. Um, and, and, you know, that being a passion of mine, it was kind of like the salt and pepper in sermons. You know, you kind of quote a verse here, quote a passage out of context here. And so that was, that was the big overarching thing for me was the fundamental problem at my church is the Bible is just not, uh, uh, it doesn't have its rightful place. And, and like I said earlier, um, the gospel was not what the whole thing was about. I wasn't being given Christ and him crucified and the gift of the gospel over and over. I was constantly being turned in on myself to think about how, uh, what I need to be doing and accomplishing. And, um, and there were a number of, of other issues that I won't get into. But so for me, Brad, long story short, I confided in, in uh, my youth pastor who I was leading, you know, with obviously, and, I told them everything that I disagreed with. And I said, Hey, uh, I want to figure out number one, if I'm wrong or crazy. And so I want to submit to your leadership. And what he had me do is he had me meet with, and I think that what I did is too much for most people, but he had me meet with many pastors and leaders in the church. And I would tell them everything. I would say, here's what I think about the Bible. Here's what I think about the gospel. Here's what I think about these things. And this is what I see in the Bible. And I would have these really, for me, difficult, awkward conversations. I didn't want to have them. I didn't want to cause problems. But like I said, I would have pastors. I mean, I, I would say things, Brad, like we don't really preach the Bible. And I would have pastors say, I 100% agree with you. And so <laughs> I was like, what? In the, you know, I'm expecting them to say, I totally disagree. And we're never going to agree on these things. And I was, most of them, most of the pastors I met with said, I totally agree. So for me, um, I was trying to figure out, well, am I crazy? You know, like uh, I was told that I cared too much about the things about the problems. And I'm, I'm thinking, how do you care too much about the Bible's place in the church, you know? But, um, so I walked through for months trying to have these conversations, figure out if I was right or wrong, figure out, did I care too much? Um, and I kind I came to the conclusion, you know, um, these are things the Bible says, this is what needs to happen and it's not going to happen. And so I need to find a new church. And the last thing uh, I'll say is I had a pastor in that time at another church. He was actually at the church. My wife and I go to now, uh, Redeemer Presbyterian. He was a pastor at that church, or he's a, he was an RUF pastor, actually, Reform University Fellowship uh, on campus. And he said, Colin, he said, you never have to apologize for looking for more of God's grace. Yeah. And that is something I'll never forget, that that's what I was looking for. I was looking for a church that would preach the Bible uh, properly, which is to preach the gospel again and again and again. And, uh, and that was this relief to my heart to say, if that's what you're looking for, you don't have to apologize. You don't have to apologize to the people at your old church that you need to move on and find the Bible, find God's word, and specifically find the gospel. 
Um, so th that would be my advice is number one, be cautious, figure out exactly what you're thinking. Uh, figure out if it's stuff that's not a big deal or if it's stuff that's a big deal. Um, and, and then be honest with a pastor. Um, you know, don't start talking to a bunch of church members causing trouble, you know, stirring up confusion in church members. Go to a pastor, go to a leader, talk to them and, uh, and start wrestling through these things. Read good books. You know, for me, um, I started hearing sermons and reading books from people that helped me learn and grow and helped affirm a lot of the things that, Colin, you're not alone in, in your beliefs, that there's actually whole churches and denominations and there's history to what you believe. And, um, uh, so it really affirmed me to know that, that I wasn't, you know, some rogue Christian, um, but, uh, but had a lot of backing in church history and theology and um, you know, so, so I, I tried to leave respectfully and, uh, you know, and then I had my sights set on a church that would preach the gospel at me, um, again and again. Mm, that's awesome. That was so good. Thank you, Colin. Yeah. And, uh, that sort of really kind of leads me to this, which is what we've all been waiting for, which is what, let me ask you, what inspired, uh, the craft I've been, you know, I, I kind of heard these inklings about it and I was getting excited for what it is. And now that I see what it is, I just think it's, well, we can get into that, but I think it's so important. So what sort of inspired this idea for you? Yeah. So I, I, I think I mentioned this, but I, I love preaching. I've been a student of preaching um, really since right after high school. One of the first sermons I preached, maybe when I was 18 or 19, um, I can still remember when I was thinking through that sermon, um, I, I was already trying to think through ways to be compelling. Um, uh, I was in, in particularly kind of unique ways of uh, uh, trying to kind of almost give like a twist ending to my sermon uh, to kind of take people off guard. And, um, you know, nobody was really teaching me that. I was just trying to think through. And I think it was just a natural bent I have towards communication and Mm -hmm. preaching. So I've, I've been a student of preaching, you know, since I was a teenager and, and love it. And uh, I love to listen to sermons and analyze sermons, not, not in the negative kind of, uh, I always leave sermons saying, man, that was boring or this or that. But I love to analyze just, you know, what made that close of that sermon uh, powerful? You know, what did that, how did, why did that intro hit so well? I love thinking through stuff like that. So, um, and, and also as someone who's preached a bunch, uh, especially in the past few years, I know that, that when you're done preaching, when you step away from the pulpit, generally you just don't know how your sermon went. Um, <laughs> you, you know, uh, I said I preached a couple weekends ago or last weekend at this youth retreat. And I remember, man, stepping away from the pulpit or as a music stand that I preached from, uh, I remember thinking that was an absolute train wreck. I mean, I was talking to my wife. I couldn't stop thinking about it all afternoon. I mean, I was just like, that was horrible. And, uh, you know, my wife kept telling me, no, it was great. It was great. And I'm like, we, you know, we see this differently. Um, so I know that generally preachers just don't know how their sermons go. Mm -hmm. They don't know if they make sense a lot of times if what they said was clear. And they don't know if they were engaging. They don't know if they put people to sleep or not. So about six months ago, I was at church. I was listening to my pastor preach at Redeemer and who, who I think truly is one of the best preachers I've ever heard. It's weird that he's in Waco. He's not known. He's not famous. 
um, which I think nowadays is, is oftentimes a good thing. Mm-hmm. But um, I think he's one of the best preachers I've ever heard. And um, uh, so I'm listening to him preach. And I thought, man, I wonder if he would like some way to know if his preaching is clear and compelling. Could I get him information? Not, not just my opinion, but, but data information as a mirror so that when he's done preaching, he can see a report and he can get data and info on his sermons and say, okay, I didn't realize that my introduction did this. I didn't realize that the movement of my sermon did this. And so what I did is I combed through a lot of homiletics materials, preaching materials that I've taken from seminary or just other preachers. And I built out an analysis to basically be able to listen to a sermon, watch a sermon, run it through the analysis. It's not automated. It's not a computer doing it. It's a person doing it, but it's locked into taking homiletics principles, preaching principles, and applying them to sermons. Because so there's so many principles out there that preachers can learn, and they're, they're trying to apply to their preaching. But push comes to shove, they have to preach the sermon, and then there's nothing after the sermon to say you applied that principle well, or you confuse the heck out of everyone with that close. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that's what I did. I built out analysis, and uh, I started uh, doing free reports for pastors and um, uh, showing pastors, pastor friends of mine that I trust who are great preachers, hey, does this look like something that would be helpful? And the feedback was constantly uh, much better than I, than I thought. Um, I was, you know, I'd be in conversations where initially I would be talking about preaching analysis, and they'd be like totally against it, like, you know, preaching is like your baby, right? And I'm coming in here saying, hey, can I analyze your child? And uh, they're like, you know, you're not going to tell me if my child's ugly, you know, sorry. Um, I would show them our report. I would show them how we analyze and they would become a fan. You know, they would become someone who, who, okay, they'd start saying, man, this looks incredible. Um, so as I got that feedback, as I honed the report, tweaked it, um, you know, we eventually launched the craft and, and that's our whole goal to help preachers hone their craft of preaching. And the way we're doing it is not by classes up front or, or that sort of thing, but it's by taking real sermons um, and analyzing the heck out of them. So, uh, so just, you know, as a snapshot, I mean, we'll take a sermon and we will concisely put together an outline of the content that was preached. And it's all from a listener's perspective. So if a preacher went into a sermon with five main points, um, we might come back and say, you had 17 main points. Um, and you had, you know, that's how your sermon was heard. I know you intended to have five, but, but because you emphasize this content in this way, you really had eight, you know, so we'll concisely put together the, the content. We'll analyze tone. Uh, we'll analyze visuals. Um, we talk about the gospel. We talk about, you know, did the sermon major on the good news of Christ or did it major on something else? Um, we talk about the movement of the sermon. How did the sermon, how was it unified? How did it move from intro to close, you know, and did that rabbit trail help the sermon or did it hurt the sermon? Um, so we, we, we give really thorough uh, reports. Um, they're, they're pretty long. They're, they, they take, you know, time to digest. And the whole goal 
is to help people see what their real preaching is like in order to make improvements for the future. So, um, you know, we, we say that we, we're helping preachers immediately preach more clear and compelling sermons. So hmm. uh, our reports are going to help people be more clear. Um, so that's the goal, right, to clearly preach the Bible. So uh, we want to help preachers understand what, what are listeners hearing, and we want to help them be compelling. We want to help them uh, not just exegete the scriptures and kind of say, here's what the Bible means, but to do it in a compelling, engaging way. And so those are the two main things we're analyzing and looking at. And we're leaving preachers with a ton of uh, what we call final remarks, which are basically, um, here's how you can immediately start preaching more clear and compelling sermons. So hmm. um, that's what the craft is. So, I mean, it's, it's uh, people always ask, you know, it's, how does it work? Preachers can basically go to our website craftsermons.com. They can purchase uh, one of our reports, uh, send us their, a link to their sermon or email us a file of their sermon. And we take it from there. We build out a huge report. We get that report back to them uh, fairly quickly. Um, And uh, yeah, and we go from there hoping to build, build a lot of good relationships with, with preachers through it. That's so cool. And I think, the reason why I'm really excited for this is just because I think, you know, I grew up in sort of, you know, good old Baptist sort of culture. And I think not just with Baptist, but just with any sort of church or whatever, there's, I think sometimes there's this notion that just because it's preaching that we don't have to be as eloquent or sharp or polished and that we can just, as long as we're speaking the good old truth, that it doesn't really yeah. matter. And, and it's all about the heart and stuff like that. And I, I keep you know, and your sort of this launch has sort of really sparked this sort of inspiration in me that it's just like, why are we caring about so many other things and making sure those are communicated properly when something that is eternal and that's so much more important, why why aren't we taking the same sort of steps to ensure that we are making this as compelling and as engaging as we can when everything else is being, it, it, it has so much more of our focus. And that's why I'm just that's why I'm excited for this, just because I think it's such a great endeavor that you got going on. Right, right. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate that. And I, I totally agree with you that, um, you know, I think that, that a lot of times there's this, uh, there's this false dichotomy that uh, you can either be passionate about truth or you can be passionate about being compelling and engaging, but you can't do both. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I line, I, 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 line up with the side typically of truth. So, um, or, or always not typically, I mean, that's, that's really my camp is, and I'm sure it's yours. I want to preach the Bible. I want to preach the truth of the scriptures. Um, but I completely reject the, the false dichotomy that, that, uh, to try to be compelling or engaging is somehow in and of itself taking away from truth. And it's taking away from the Bible. I would say it's the complete opposite that, that, uh, you know, and, and Brian Chapel um, says this as well, that, that to not be compelling, to not be engaging can actually compromise your truth. Because, um, I mean, if you're, if you're boring, um, if you're not trying to be engaging, people are just going to tune out and they're not going to hear the truth you have to say. Yep. Um, so, you know, and that's what, you know, again, you see that in guys like Tim Keller, my pastor um, is he's fiercely biblical. He's an intellectual, um, you know, 
similar to, to Tim Keller, who's more known. You know, he's an intellectual, he's smart, he's going to exegete the scriptures, but he's going to preach and deliver in a very compelling manner that engages mm. with people in real time. And so yeah. um, that, that's really my heart behind the craft, and especially my heart for my camp at large, which is preach the Bible. At all costs, preach the Bible. And I'm 100% there, and I'm saying our Bible preaching is going to come across way more and reach way more people with greater clarity if we are fiercely compelling as well. Mm. And, um, you know, passionate about, I mean, Brad, I listened to so many sermons and you'd be surprised how many sermons, um, are, I, I know they're trying to preach the Bible, but sometimes it's like they give no thought to, to the structure of their sermon. And, mm. Uh, a lot of the guys, in, in, like I said, in my camp, if you will, my, you know, maybe the Reformed Bible church uh, kind of, or Baptist churches, whatever, a lot of times sermons are 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes long. And you'd be surprised how many times sermons have little to no structure. They just kind of, it's, I like to say they just go, man. They just, they learn what's in the Bible and they just stand up and go. <laughs> and, and, and the problem is, is, is listeners get lost in the mix and they don't really hear anything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so anyway, that, that's, that's my passion is I want to get the Bible out. I want to get the gospel out. And, uh, and I think to do that best, we need to be compelling. We need to be clear. We need to, to think through our sermons from beginning to end, everything from what's the first word out of your mouth to the last one, you know, yeah. uh, so I agree with you that, that we should care that much about, you know, about our preaching. Well, I think some people maybe are a little bit, you know, trepidatious about the idea of, you know, marrying data with a redemptive narrative. But I think that you can do that very easily. And I think that the, right. re- uh, that the fact that you're doing that with the craft, I think, is just really cool. Because I think guys need to see that, you know, you didn't have any redemptive narrative language in your sermon. And if you right. don't, then what's the reasoning behind that? Like, and I think that fact alone will be, you know, very revealing, you know, of a way a pastor speaks or whatever. And I just, that's why I'm really excited for the craft and uh, I will probably be using it in the future. <laughs> um, yeah. But let me ask you this. Why would you think that there's, you know, maybe we've already touched on it, but why would you think there's a lack of resources like this? Like why, why have we not really seen something come across as as mainstream as like th- we need to focus on this why, why why do you think there's a void there right i think um i think it's a great question that um you, you know I, I think two reasons i think number one it's um it is an incredibly uh it's a difficult idea to to communicate in terms of analyzing a sermon um because who most pastors in my experience aren't asking anyone for feedback um, mm-hmm. because it's uncomfortable and mm-hmm. and I'm not saying I'm saying I'm in that mix too I don't I don't want anyone to tell me I was confusing yeah. because I've got a big ego and it hurts <laughs> you know and um, uh, yeah. so when I put in 20 hours 30 hours into sermon preparation and someone says i got a great nap out of that i mean it just Mm -hmm. that feels horrible so Mm -hmm. um so i think that number one 
that it's a difficult concept in general to to stomach. And now, now I think that personally, I, I mean, I've devoted a ton of time to creating something, the craft that that doesn't hurt. You know, we are our reports are very encouraging. We like to overload guys with, here's what you're good at, here's your strengths, here's your skills. Um, so, so we want to make it as painless as possible, and and we want to be a, as objective as possible. We want to give undeniable facts that if the facts about your preaching make you mad, um, it's it's not personal. Um, so I think that that's one. I think that number two as well, Brad, and this is kind of like a weird, unique answer, is that I think that the guys who would want a service like this don't have time to provide this service because they're pastors and they're preaching every week. And so um, I think that I honestly was in a unique place to pursue this, to create this, because I've been involved in full-time pastoral ministry. I'll probably be involved in full-time pastoral ministry in the future. Um, but I was just in, in a unique spot that it was, it was kind of like a perfect storm, honestly, of um, I had the time the resources and the passion and the know-how to, mm -hmm. to kind of pull this off and to launch it and to create it. And so I think that that's the other thing. It's that even if someone wanted to take the risk of trying to market this kind of idea, they just, they weren't in the place to do it. And, and I was, and so, um, you know, with a lot of encouragement and help, I said, okay, let's run with it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and, and I'm so glad, so glad we did. So, um, but awesome. I think that's it. I mean, I, I think that preachers, we all have a big ego and, and <laughs> that's normal. And we don't want, it hurts. It hurts, man. When someone's like, Hey, your baby isn't very cute, you know? <laughs> um, uh, but like you said earlier, it, preaching is too important to, to, to not get feedback. It's too important to not go through that painful process. And so, you know, I, I really respect guys who are willing to do that. Tim Keller once said that, that if you can get feedback on your preaching, uh, really good, a lot of feedback on your preaching, it'll change your life. And I totally agree. Mm. Um, you know, that, that if guys would just be willing to say, you know what, maybe hit me where it hurts if you need to, um, <laughs> you know, it'll change their life. So, mm. That's awesome. That's good. And sort of as we, we close here, you know, as I mentioned in the introduction that the Majesty's Men in this, this show individually exist to engage, you know, young men with the gospel and along with the craft and, and all these different avenues that you have for engaging other guys with the gospel. What would you say? I like asking this question. What would you say if you were only allowed to say one thing to an audience of young men that is that you would say is the most important thing? Man, when it, when it, so, you're, so you're asking if I could say one thing to, to young guys thinking about ministry? Yes. Um, man, the one thing that, that comes to mind is, um, and you, you could, I could say this in a lot of different ways, but get lost in, in the gospel. That's what I would say. Uh, mm. I could say it like get lost in the gospel, get run over by the train of the gospel, because um, you can be great at ministry. You can be great at, at communication. You can be an astounding leader 
Um, you can, you can do all these things in ministry. And if your ministry, um, is all about, uh, the law and it's all about getting people to do something, accomplish something, um, you are going to be great at burning people out and exhausting people and driving people into the ground. You're going to be an incredible leader and preacher and all these things, but your ministry um, uh, is not going to be what it should be because it should be about, I would say that to young guys, um, spend your time figuring out how does everything come back to Jesus Mm. and how does every text in the Bible come back to Jesus? And when you don't understand it, that's okay. Um, think about it. Think hard about it and figure out. Um, we, we say this at our church, my pastor say this, that we're building our messy lives around the gospel. Uh, <laughs> figure out what does it look like to build your messy life around the gospel? Because if you do that, if you, if you get run over by the train of the gospel, then um, you know what? You can be a terrible communicator but people will listen because you will relieve them. You will bring them good news that they long for. And, um, and, and everything else, in a sense, will figure itself out. Preaching will figure itself out. Counseling will figure itself out. If you start there, if you start with Christ and him crucified for you, for your people, for your family, for the world, if you start there and it's real to you, um, you believe it. You're trying to figure it out. You're wrestling with it. If you start there, man, I'll go to your church. I'll listen to your preaching. You know, um, I'll, I'll sit in counseling with you because because you're going to bring me God's word. You know, so so that, that's what I would say. Let let the law do its work on you. Um, cherish God's law as your guide in all of life, and come back to the final word of the gospel again and again. Mm, that's good. But I don't want to add anything else to that because I might mess it up. Um, Colin, <laughs> it's been good t- chatting with you. I'm sure we'll have you on again in the future. And I'm so glad you had the opportunity. I'm glad you woke up early uh, to talk with me this morning. Thank you. Yeah, man, I, I hope that I woke up enough for this. So thanks for having <laughs> me on. And thanks again to Colin for taking the time to come on the show today. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and stay up to date with the happenings and all the resources that you can find at The Craft by following craftsermons.com. You can find all those links in the show notes. And that's it for today's episode of Ministry Minded. Thanks so much for staying with me and for listening. If you like what you just heard and would like to hear more episodes like this, be sure and follow the show on Twitter. You can also subscribe to the show in iTunes and on SoundCloud. And if you really like what you just heard, you can do me a really big favor and leave a short review. That'll go a long way in making shows like this continue to happen. And thank you again to the Christian Standard Bible for sponsoring the show. And thank you, as always, for listening and for commenting and for subscribing. I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings.